0: Welcome to the second episode of the Cityscape Intelligence Podcast. I'm your host, Tanisha Naidu, and today we're talking about the industrial sector in the UAE. There's been a swell of interest for the sector with technological advances continuing to be a key driver. I caught up with Ian Albert, CEO of Colliers in the Middle East and North African region who told me the rise of automation and value-added services is changing the way warehouses operate, leading to a dynamic future, not only in the UAE, but across the globe. I started the interview by asking Ian his thoughts on how the industrial sector in the UAE has been impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic and how the drivers for demand have changed.
1: If you look at the industrial sector, first of all in the UAE, what are we talking about? We're talking about a range that runs from manufacturing through to 3PL logistics and warehousing. If you look first of all at the manufacturing component, prior to really COVID coming along, it was ticking along quite nicely. There was the overall, the manufacturing sector contributes about 10% of GDP in the UAE, what we were beginning to see was new advances in certain manufacturing areas like the free zones. So we saw something down in Kazad with, the, I think it was their the polymers section that, that they put into Kazad down there, Kazad Polymers Park. So we're beginning to see a bit more clustering coming into the market. So on the manufacturing side, it was ticking along, but wasn't necessarily huge, but was a nice solid base. And we see it from Al Kama all the way down to Abu Dhabi. What we're looking for post, and the question really is post-COVID on manufacturing is because of the breakdown in what has basically been the global network supply chain, are we going to see and do we anticipate a move towards more local manufacturing? And that brings us to a certain degree back to that same question on Kazad. If you were looking at the, at the, the UAE and the GCC on a broader basis, what have we got in abundance? Obviously, petrochemicals. What do we rely on? We still rely on importing a number of plastic products from around the world, anything from cups to spades to high tech. The question really is, what do we do going forward? Are we going to see an increase in manufacturing as part of the post-COVID situation? I suspect we will. I see governments will look to make sure they have a manufacturing base of their own so they're not as dependent on outside resources, should this happen again. So I think from that point of view, manufacturing is expected to start picking up. Manufacturing by its nature is a very slow burn. It takes a while to get going, takes a while to move along. Then looking at the other main sectors, which is obviously warehousing and logistics. And what we are beginning to see really in in those sectors is very much a merge of the two. So pre-COVID, there was the pressure from retail. There was the omnichannel of retailing talking about, we were seeing the physical retail footprint reducing significantly, but meanwhile, the e-commerce component was increasing. What does that mean? It means that as e-commerce has brought up the greater demand for warehousing and logistics space and lesser demand for the physical retail, the shopping mall, the high street shop type operation. What we've seen during COVID and then the drive post COVID is actually to accelerate this. So we're seeing now, a much harder push on fulfillment centers, and also the way that that was beginning to see around the world was this drop shipping. Drop shipping is, is effectively manufacturer. You go online, you buy it at, at a point of sale online, very much like sort of an Amazon, for example. But rather than Amazon fulfilling themselves in their own factory, it would go direct from the warehouse of the manufacturer or the retailer straight out. So it's very much a shop window effect, drop shipping. We are seeing much more drop shipping coming into play. The other thing that's really come up has been the speed of delivery on the surveys that were happening before COVID. And we can only imagine it's increased significantly since is that people buy between 60 and 75% will pay more for goods or will choose their e-commerce retailer based on the speed of delivery not necessarily over price. So that's also gonna be driven much faster and much quicker into the marketplace. And that's where the combination of warehousing and logistics starts coming into play. Because warehousing no longer is just storage and logistics is where you send it out. Now with the drive of IT, they're very much and the same thing. And also there's a slight spread into manufacturing as well. If you look at 3D printing longer term, it's not immediate impact, but longer term it will be. So 3D printing within the same distribution warehouse, within the same logistics warehouse is probably gonna be the future. And we're seeing merging very much of two sectors and possibly partially of a third sector in there as well.
0: How should the industry adjust to prepare for what's next in that case?
1: It's massive spends on IT. We've carried out surveys ourselves and just last year. And if you look at 80% of respondents on our survey and a number of other surveys are all coming back to us and saying that they anticipate to spend a significant amount in IT. Now, IT is a number of things. You've got the starting point for all logistics and warehousing currently right now is the APIs, its application program interface. So that sits as the baseline system. And effectively, this is the platform from which everything else spreads out. Within there, obviously, that links into Internet of Things, IoT. So you've got, the API, the application program interface, linking in with, with the Internet of Things, the creating commerce and collaboration platforms that they need, and then we get into the warehousing itself. When you move into the warehousing, this is where the, the money is really getting spent. If you look at warehousing, now it's about robots. And although the automation component of it is not quite to the same extent that people think, but it is a significant push going forward. And that's where the the change really is going to come into how the industry prepares to go forward. It prepares to go forward on a couple of bases. One, it needs to look at its current infrastructure, both from an IT and from a physical in terms of physical robots and physical space for it to operate within. And two, where that location is going to be, because the next phase of this, as I mentioned earlier, is this price premium or this premium attached to speed of delivery. Everyone's talked about Last Mile for many years. We've talked about it before. I don't know how many years ago. We've started being talking about it. But it is this component now that comes into play. This very much Last Mile component, not so much for the UAE, because the UAE, one of the things it benefits from, is great existing infrastructure. The roads are good. The populations aren't significant distance from each other. So whilst Last Mile is important, and we're beginning to see it for noon with their drop boxes and secure boxes that they're putting in, I think they've got one in um, Dubai Marina, so we'll see more of these arrive. Amazon, I think, have a, a lockbox as well proponent. So we'll see more local delivery points. But it is the hubs and the smaller hubs that we will see in the denser areas. So the older parts, say, of Dubai, Indira, you may need to see distribution hubs in there. Whereas for the new areas in Dubai, which are linked on and Abu Dhabi, which are linked through great road networks, it's not as much of an imperative. But if we look at the master plans going forward and the new communities being built through the UAE and and the markets will return, each one of these will need to have their own distribution hub within it.
0: As more consumers shift to online retail, there is, of course, a pressing demand, as you mentioned. What do you think this means for the sectors? Is this the new normal that we're starting to see? Or do you think that this will just be a passing phase in a post-COVID world?
1: No, this this is absolutely the new normal. The online retailing component, as you mentioned, from drop shipping to channeling retail footprints shrinking from the physical side, but expanding into their logistics and supply chain requirements is absolutely the way the market's going to go. When we did a survey from retailers a month ago, they came back to us and told us that the majority of them, 70%, have seen, as you can imagine, a reduction in their physical, decline their physical store sales. No surprise, it's been COVID. People haven't been out there shopping. But the difference has been that's been transferred over to a 20 to 70% increase in their online platforms, those that have established online platforms. What we saw was a number of retailers struggling and scrabbling to keep up because they didn't have a significant enough online platform to provide themselves with a revenue base during the downturn period. When we look at e-commerce overall, e-commerce is going to spread out a little bit more than than we've already thought. You've got new entrants into the e-commerce market. I think this year or late last year, you had Instagram bringing in Insta-shopping. Now, one of the things on Instagramming, and this is where retail starts to feed into the demand side for additional warehousing and distribution space, is item returns. If you've got an Instagram shop and you're buying on Instagram, the return policy is the most important component. And the current estimates are that over a fifth of social media buyers, people who buy through social media platforms, which will basically be you know, impulse purchases, they will comprise almost a fifth of the return policy. Now, if you're running a return policy, then that means you must be able to pick up and resend it back, which means more demand for more physical space on the warehousing and logistics side.
0: cityscape intelligence podcast and i'm talking to ian albert ceo of colliers for the mina region in the second part of my interview the conversation turned towards the rising trend of on-demand or pop-up warehousing however before we get there if you're looking for more news on the industrial and logistics asset class please visit cityscape-intelligence.com where over the last few months, we've been unpacking why the MENA region is the future of global logistics, looking at the transformation of Cairo and Saudi Arabia's warehousing sector. Now, let's return to the interview where I asked Ian about the investment appetite for this particular sector.
1: It's a tough one because we're not really there yet. We have seen a couple of players come into the marketplace. Some of the, I think Landmark, have built their own facility of which they're also offering to third parties. So the 3PL component of it is very much there. But one of the things that really that is going to be coming in, we feel hasn't been addressed yet and provides an opportunity for investors and or governments. And i explain why we sort of cover both is the on-demand warehousing or the pop-up warehousing. So on-demand warehousing has been running in the US and the UK effectively through apps. And what this allows you to do is for a traditional manufacturer warehouse facility, they may have during periods of the year space that's empty within their facility. So it's almost like Airbnb, but for warehousing. So what you do is you go onto the app, you find out where there is empty space or a new space that the current facility owner. They put it on there and you would utilize it. That's great for peak periods when volumes can spike during national holidays or if it's a Christmas or a New Year or an Eid. What you can see there is peak periods can spike three to five times normal volumes. What that's great for is it allows these people not to say, I'm going to rent 10,000 square meter warehouse for half the year. I'll only use 7,000. So I've got to keep 3,000 empty for those one or two or three times a year that I might need the extra 3,000. What I can now do is take smaller space, but allow myself to use that additional space that's around the market as and when I need it. The disadvantage to that, and which is where the operators can come in, is that this relies on, A, a market that, that will link itself up to it, and B, that these other facilities aren't also racked up and see the other issue is that if you're all chasing the same space in the same peak time and you all have fixed commitments in terms of your delivery charges through to your Amazons or whoever it will be, that that can put pressure on your price point. What the investors, to answer your question, can come in and look at is the investors can say, if I were to build this facility, think of it like co-working space and office co-working space. I can build this facility and utilize it out to These smaller companies or indeed larger companies that want that overflow space when they require it. So there's an opportunity there either at an individual investor level or at a level of governments. So governments could say, for example, I have so many warehouses to lease or whatever in my free zone, but you don't need to lease 10,000 square meters. You can lease seven because I'm going to keep the extra three on a different rate charge. Sure, it will cost you more on a per square meter rate, but you're only going to use it when you need it. So as an additional incentive, this allows you to have flex space, very much in the same way as office space and co-working space operates.
0: Pop-up. Is that a trend that we're starting to see here in the UAE?
1: We haven't really seen it yet, primarily because we're not there in terms of the infrastructure. And it pop-up warehousing and warehousing on demand is that Airbnb thing I was talking about. Think of it like a normal office building. In a normal office building, you go to a landlord, landlord has one floor set aside as co-working space. And he says to you, how much space do you need? And I say, I need 10,000 square meters, but well, I need 15,000, but I only need 10,000 at any one point in time. And he says to me, well, you know what, take the 10,000 space and you can use the flex space of the co-working space when you need it. Now, if you do the same thing for warehousing in the same facility, what that allows JABSA or KIZAD to do is to say, take the space that you absolutely need but if you need expansion space or if you need flexible space during peak periods during the year, we're going to keep this warehousing open for you or the facility, and you can utilize as much as you want through a simple app. And that's the idea of on-demand or pop-up warehousing.
0: Well, as you mentioned, I'm sure we will start to see investors re-examine their strategies then post-COVID-19 to incorporate these new trends.
1: I hope so. At the moment, if you look across the marketplace It's the one where we have clear indications, the one sector where we have clear indications of long-term sustainable growth, that and hospitality. But obviously, hospitality has got to recover, whereas if you look at the warehousing logistics sector, it's ongoing all the time.
0: Well, before the pandemic hit, we were seeing a lot of activity around the sector. Uh, We witnessed Abu Dhabi airports and Etihad Cargo launch a new terminal. And then, as you mentioned, Keyzad continues the construction of phase three of its uh, logistics park. What are your thoughts and projections around these activities and others that are coming online in light of what's happening over the next year?
1: All of them, to varying degrees, are going to be successful because the demand is heading that way. The IT infrastructure is supporting the growth in that direction. COVID-19 has allowed us to a certain degree to drive more local manufacturing. So if you look at the impact of COVID, if you look at the long-term trajectory of the sectors of industrial and particularly logistics, it's all very strong. Having said all of that, there is one caveat and that is the economic zones and um, the, the special economic zones, so the SEZs and the free zones, the competitive landscape for them is increasing significantly around the GCC. Saudi is very much more active now, as we know, in terms of diversifying its economy. It's pushing quite heavily. Abu Dhabi has a number of free zones. Dubai has a number of free zones. So is Rahal Khaimah. Oman is very busy in there as well. So we're beginning to see a lot of comp- competition for JIRA, a lot of competition within not just the UAE, but also the GCC. So, whilst the trajectory is very good for the sector, there is regional competition that you need to take it account of.
0: Well, you touched on this earlier in the interview in terms of IT infrastructure and the Internet of Things, but what role will automation play in transforming the sector as we move forward?
1: Absolutely. Automation will work hand-in-glove with, as I mentioned earlier, the API application program interface, which will work hand-in-glove with AI, artificial intelligence as well. All of this is coming together to mean that we have multimodal optimization throughout the supply chain. Where is it coming from? How do I track it? Do I need to have my stock keeping units, my SKUs at, at max? In other words, how much do I have to have sitting in my warehouse? Or how much do I have to have sitting in various of the locations? And how the, how those locations come together really is about that optimization and change of adaption through the internet of things. IoT links everything. And then it, it links everything into the, you know, your barcode, your tracking, your end-to-end of the supply chain. That sits on top of your application program interface. The application program interface also can run your robots or cobots, which is sort of a, a something that will work alongside humans as opposed to replacement of. So it's, it's all happening, and it's all happening very quickly.
0: And finally, what advice would you give to investors who are looking at the sector here in the UAE?
1: There is absolutely an opportunity there. The question really is, who are you going to get in bed with? And the one thing that we have learned more than anything is during COVID is don't rely on the big names. Someone came to you with a contract six months ago and said, I will be the supply chain manager for British Airways. You would say you have landed a golden contract and you couldn't get any better And where is British Airways today. So the traditional sectors, which were absolutely rock solid Reliance on a single sector or on a single type of company is not the way to go. What you'd need to look at is, yes, the overall industry is very strong, but within that, go for a number of participants. Don't necessarily link your well-being and your your investment decisions to, to the single value of a single participant that you may rely on.
0: Thank you for listening to the Cityscape Intelligence podcast. Join us next time, where I'll be talking to Ahmed al CEO of Sharjah-based developer, Arada. If there are any topics you would like us to explore, get in touch with us at info at cityscape-intelligence.com. I'm Tanisha Naidu, and until next time, goodbye.